um welcome back to everything everything i'm wilma and today we're going to be talking about crime true crime weird crime all kinds of crime um it's the 4th of january 2022 i have no idea where you're listening from but if you're listening thank you um the fourth day of the year um my year has started out very nicely um, i'm grateful to god you know because obviously i'm still breathing and that's something that sometimes we take for granted but i'm i'm very grateful and i'm also grateful for you guys for this podcast for this episode for this for everything um i'm back in the city where everything is like super hectic but we move on regardless you know um as I said, we're going to be talking about crime today, and I have a few stories to tell. Um, I'm going to be reading them from this website that I found. Um, I'm, I'm, okay. I was going to say I'm a fan of crime, but that's that's no, I'm, I'm not. Um, I just kind of like have this thing, like I've always like since I was a child. Um, I think my favorite genre to read was crime fiction, specifically Poirot or Agatha Christie. I'm a very huge Christie fan. I love um, James Patterson. I love J.D. Robb. I love Karen Slaughter. I love all this, you know, like I just have this thing for crime fiction, but I also have this thing for like actual crime. Like I love to criticize and 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 come through and you know just just see how things are going especially when it's on the news although um i'm kenyan right so like i watch american crime documentaries and they're very i don't think i've seen a kenyan crime documentary yet maybe i haven't looked for one but i bet they're very different i don't know what it is about um the western world and and your crimes that just to some extent especially for the serial killers it's like they're being glorified to some extent so I'm going to read for you a bunch of crimes that happened. I hope time will allow me to read all of them. But, you know, I'm going to give you like the story and the the head of the story. So the first one is a con man used Masonic paranoia to strip an aristocrat of her family fortune. Um... If 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 I cannot pronounce this some of these names or words, I'm very sorry. Um, some of them do not very commonly appear in my vocabulary in this part of the world. So please pardon me. Um, okay. So in the in the age of the internet, it may be hard to believe that hacksters and confidence men can still run a good game. Con artist theory Tilly made more than 4.3 million pounds 
of the gullibility of a French aristocrat. According to the former wealthy Christine Dovedrin, Tilly convinced her and 10 members of her family that she was the target of a vast conspiracy perpetrated by an evil cabal composed of various entities, including other members of her own family. Tilly incited them to increasingly paranoid behavior to the point that the group was barricading itself behind the doors of its ancestral home, Chateau Martel. Over the course of a decade from 1999 to 2009, Tilly reportedly siphoned the Virgin's vast fortune into offshore accounts and even made off with the family's historic jewels. He's now serving 10 years in prison for extortion and imprisonment and Christine Dovedrin and her family are completely broke. That's sad. That's wow. Because I've seen a couple con men. Not like seeing them with my eyes, but like on TV. And there was this other one. Um, there was a whole documentary on Netflix about him. Um, the varsity scandal or something it was called, I can't remember. And to be honest, um, when I said earlier that we kind of glorify these people. I admired this guy because he saw an opportunity and he took it, you know. So I was like, I mean, yeah, you did a crime, but you made a name for yourself and money. So, you know, I don't know. I don't know how you feel about these people, but I'm going to move on to the next story. The topic is... The murderous axman of New Orleans really had a fondness for jazz. So fans of American horror story are likely familiar with the legend of the axman of New Orleans, America's own Bayou Jack the Ripper. Um, over the course of a decade, decade between 1911 and 1919, a mysterious drifter attacked and murdered several people a lot of whom were Italian grocers with no other apparent motive than carnage and possibly racism. Um, at one point, the killer even sent a mocking letter to newspapers, newspapers claiming that he would spare anyone in New Orleans who played jazz. As mysteriously as the axeman appeared, though he was gone, disappearing into myth in 1919, after the murder of a grocer named Mike Pepitone. Oddly, one year later, a man named Joseph Mumphrey was shot to death, to death near Pepitone's widow. While no evidence ever linked Mumphrey to the other Axman murders, lots of circumstantial evidence pointed in his direction. Mm. Um, listen, you know how... I feel like I've told this story once before, but I'm going to tell it again at the risk of sounding redundant. <laughs> um, this one time I was in high school, we went out um, and then it was some function or some festival, I can't really remember. So afterwards we stopped at this mall, right? And, and people were buying things and whatever. So I saw a bookshop. I have this thing for bookshops, like... Every time I see one, I feel compelled to go inside. It doesn't even matter whether I'm going to buy something or not. I just have to go and see. Like, I just really usually feel this very strong sense of compulsion when I'm around books. And it's not even a joke. So so I walk inside, right? Um, 
before I can get verified, I see this book about serial killers. And I'm like, I have to get this. Thank God it wasn't very expensive. So I did get it. Um, a friend of mine still has it. But I never even got to read the whole of it. But it was like, I was cramming these people's names. You know, like Jack the Reaper, um, Son of Sam. Um, have I even, I, I, I feel like it's been a while so I've forgotten their names, right? But I remember this one time also I was watching Discovery Idea. I really love that channel. And they brought this story about this girl called Jean Benet Ramsey. My goodness, she was she was murdered at six years old, I think. Um, was it Colorado? Denver, Colorado. I hope I have the facts right. You know, like after I watched the documentary, I went to my notebook and I wrote down the facts. Oh my God, you would have thought I'm trying to solve the crime. I kind of was, but then I can't really solve it from all the way here, you know? But it was very fascinating to me that from 1996 up until today, it's still a cold case, you know? Um, But... I just have an eye for like crime. I find it weird and fascinating at the same time. Like, like you know, how did these people grow up and what led them up to this point? And and are they psychopaths or are they sociopaths or you know, was it like an accident or not? You know. So yeah. Um. Next story. Um. Wow, I can't really pronounce this name. Bunny Teed was the murderer people couldn't help but love. Okay, okay. Um, As of 2016, former mortician Bunny Teed is in a Texas lockup for the 1996 murder of Marjorie Nugent, a well-to-do widow whom Bunny shot to death before hiding her body in her freezer for several months. Perhaps the strangest bit of this story is that in the wake of Najat's disappearance, no one seemed to care. Mm, that's sad. Thanks to her reputation for being somewhat of a Carmagian, her disappearance drew no concern. Um, reportedly, Teed was in a relationship with Najat, who was 40 years older than him. Mm, talk about, what are they called? Sugar mummies or... or um, what's that word? Mm, there's this word, cougars. Um, Najat, who was 40 years older than him, when Teed's crime was eventually discovered, the small town characters surrounding the mortician actively fought against his incarceration, calling Teed infallibly gener generous, possibly because he spent a lot of Najat's $6 million fortune on various gifts to the town. Few people could believe the sweet-natured man could possibly have committed such a crime, even after he confessed to the sweetheart scum. Jack Black portrayed Teed in the 2011 movie Barney. Although Teed was actually convicted in 1999 and sentenced to life, he was released in 2014 pending a second trial. In 2016, his original sentence of 99 years was reinstated. Wow. Um, 
I don't know what to say about that. The American justice system is funny because, because like in real life, I don't actually know what it, how it goes, but like from your movies and your TV shows, um, when when you're looking at it from that angle, you get very biased. You're like, okay, so white man is going to be, he's probably going to go to jail and the sentence is going to be for life or, you know, death by something and then, or just for life. Uh, and then it's going to be with parole. And you're like, okay, so this person is a very vicious psychopath who murdered people viciously. And then you're going to release him after, I don't know, 10 years and he was supposed to be in prison for the rest of his life or I don't know until death do him part <laughs> forgive me but honestly I don't believe that people change honestly like people can adapt to a situation or you know an occasion or whatever but I genuinely don't believe that people change like you are who you are and you can only pretend or act for so long but eventually your character is going to pop back up like a balloon being trying like like when you're trying to stuff a balloon underwater like you just can't you know your character is just going to pop out and that's just what i think it may be wrong it may be right i don't know but you guys tell me what you think. The next story is mother and daughter Stacy Peterson and Christy Kales both went missing. Um, hmm. In 2007, Stacy Peterson went missing from her home in Bolingbrook, Illinois. Eventually, the blame fell rightly on her husband. The rightly is in, um, what do you call these things, brackets on her husband, Drew Peterson. Uh, while there wasn't quite enough evidence to convict Peterson, a former police sergeant of Stacy's murder, the attention the case received actually dredged up the circumstances surrounding the death of Peterson's third wife, Kathleen Savio. The renewed investigation found enough evidence to finally put Peterson behind bars he subsequently confessed to his fourth wife's murder as well. The kicker, though, is that nine years before Stacy's disappearance, her mother, Christy Kales, also went missing under similarly mysterious and still unsolved circumstances. I find it fascinating how um, forensic science works. Um, I, I was like extremely obsessed with forensic science and you know to the point where i genuinely wanted like that was what was, i was going to study in uni but this and that happened and you know here in kenya that's not really something <laughs> your parents will let you do in in good conscience honestly like if they actually love you <laughs> i highly doubt it <laughs> but um i know how there's always this, that 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 one strand of hair or or i don't know some dna under this person's nails or or this 
person was stabbing this other person and they cut themselves and their blood drops and they forgot to clean it, but they cleaned everything else. I watch forensic files a lot. So um I I I, I can't plan the perfect crime, but there's things I know not to do if I ever commit a crime as such. Um our next story is the good heart murders were ripped from the reels of a horror movie. Okay, okay. There's you know those pictures um that those serial killer families take. Not really serial killer families, but those families where you're like um they're all in the picture and then they look so grim and you're like, Wow, okay. Did these people know they were going to die? So the good heart murders unfold as many horror tropes. An idyllic family retreats to some secluded area for a few days of rest and relaxation only to encounter a psychopath. Okay. Um, in 1986, The Shining, that exact scenario played out when the Robinson family took up summer residence in a cottage deep in the forest of the Blisswood Resort in Goodhart, Michigan. I hope I said that right. Um, as the family settled in, an unknown assailant shot and killed patriarch Richard C. Robinson before targeting the man's family. By the end of the night, Robinson's wife and his four children were also killed. A caretaker found the bodies 27 days later after neighbors reported a strange smell from the Robinson cabin, while police suspected Robinson's business partner, Joe Scalero, of the crime, there was never enough evidence to convict him. Scalero took his own life several years later, still professing his innocence. Those involved believe the mysterious case to be solved although investigators closed the file in 2018. Um, I have a question for you all. In cases like that one, um, do you think, you know how people always like, when it's your time to die, you die, you know? Like, is it your time to die when you're killed? Especially in, in such a manner? I don't know. Um, you tell me what you think, honestly. I really need to know what you guys think. Um, next story. Calvin Jones dodged a murder charge because his victim had sickle cell anemia. This sounds interesting. Um, in January 1966, Philadelphia man Calvin Jones escaped charges of murder due to a really bizarre coincidence, okay? Jones had a previous, had, Jones had previously been charged with the murder of 23-year-old Sarah Talbot, his then girlfriend. It appeared as though he had beaten her to death with a rubber hose, brutal. When the young woman was autopsied, however, it was discovered that Jones's assault hadn't been what ended her life. Instead, the coroner discovered that Tolbert had died of sickle cell anemia at the exact moment she was being battered 
As a result, Jones received the lesser charge of assault and battery. Wow. You can... That, uh, I, that has never occurred to me as a possibility, but I guess the law is very weird, if I may use that phrase. Sounds very bizarre, but... um, I remember this one time I was watching How to Get Away with Murder. That's my favorite crime show ever like i've watched it so many times i could literally be analyst but she said something in the lines of like there's no justice in the court system or like i can't really quote her verbatim but it was something like um you kind of have to make the truth yours you kind of have to bend it to your will because everyone has a version of the truth and in the courtroom we're just going to listen to whose narration is like who's better at narrating you know like that's that's what being a lawyer kind of is i guess for crime criminal lawyers i don't know about you know other lawyers so yeah next story um the Mary Morris murders were likely the work of one really incompetent hitman. Mm, we do not like those. For those of us who are very experienced in documentaries about murderers and such, we do not like the incompetent guys. Like, if you're going to do it, plan it out well, kindly. Don't don't come here with your half-ass knowledge, you know? So, yeah. Um in October 2000, two Texas women were murdered in a similar manner within days of one another. Neither woman had any known enemies. And you know, it's always weird. These people in these documentaries who've been murdered, they have no known enemies. I'm like, what type of life were you living? No offense to murdered people, but were you like saints or something? Anyway, in fact, both families reported that the women were loving, kind, and professional. Listen to that. One a nurse, the other a loan officer. Loan. Definitely enemies. Um, living completely unconnected lives. They had only one thing in common. Both women were named Mary Morris. Now that is suspicious. Police found Mary Henderson Morris, 48 years old, in her burned-out car. Three days later, they found Mary McGinnis Morris, 39, who'd been shot dead in her car. An investigation into the matter turned up no evidence, and both cases remained remain unsolved. The prevailing theory is that Mike Morris, husband of Mary McGinnis Morris, hired a hitman to kill his wife. Unfortunately, the assailant made a mistake and targeted the wrong Mary Morris first. That makes so much sense. Like, if they hadn't said that, it wouldn't have made any sense to me. Next story. The liquid Matthew murder mystery started as a charge game. Hmm. How oh, interesting. In 1983, uh, the body of Francisco Patino Gutierrez was found on a street in Hialeah, Florida. 
Nearby, a plastic bag was found taped to the back of a dumpster. Inside was a cryptic riddle. We love those. In context, investigators found the note and accompanying riddle as particularly puzzling. Here's the riddle. Um, once you're back on the track, you'll travel in net. So prepare your old self for a terrible fright. Now the motive is clear and the victim is too. You've got all the answers, just follow the clues. Don't we like the smart criminals, huh? And, and in these cases, we need people like Professor Robert Langdon to solve our cases. Um, I don't know. Are you familiar with Robert Langdon? Feels like I'm talking to a specific person. But uh, if, if you read Dan Brown, then you're very familiar with Robert Langdon. Um, I remember the first time I read, I read uh, the Da Vinci Code. I was, I was in high school, I was in form three or grade 11, I think, translation for non-Kenyans. Um, I've never been so, what's the word? I was, I was, I felt like someone took everything that I knew and, and, and just like threw it in the dustbin. I was like, what, you know, like, like, what are you even trying to tell me? Like, I know this is fiction, but really, you know, and then I read Inferno and then I kept reading his books. I was like, wow, this is, this is insane. There's no way, there's no way this is happening. Um, so yeah. You should read Dan Brown. He's great. And James Patterson. Um, I think I'm going to stop at that with the stories. With with the they're not stories, they're like actual um occurrences, you know, things that happened in real life, which is which says a lot about humanity. Especially the fact that I'm scared of people, but not like, you know, I'm not like going to um, run away from people or whatever when I see people, because, you know, we need people to live and survive and everything. We need each other, but just kind of, it's something I think about a lot, you know, it kind of, got me into psychology like i took this um crash course in psychology because i was just very interested in these kinds of things like what leads people to kill someone or to commit a crime of whatever magnitude uh so yeah it was just very interesting to me and i think from the stories also just beginning to become very curious 
on on what goes on in the human mind um and what i've gotten from this what i get every sorry every time i watch these documentaries is that some of these people it's like for them they didn't even realize this is something they could do until that point and it it always goes back to like when they were children like this usually starts before you grow into consciousness and you barely remember some of the things that happened to you as a child and if you do i feel like it's even way worse you know like you try and stop yourself and sometimes you can't which is scary it's devastating it's all the bad things um this has been through cram with velma uh i i hope you law abiding citizens have a good day a good morning a good night enjoy yourself and 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 set out to do what you had planned to do this year um yeah goodbye Stop this pain tonight Don't waste your time on me You're all